We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Now it's up to Gordon Beckham to bat. Lead things off for the Sox here in the 11th and see if he can do some damage. Pitch to Gordon, a high fly to left. Is it well? Going back to the track, along the fence, jumps, home run! Sox win! Sox win on a Beckham home run! He starts the tremendous double play to end the threat for Texas and first pitch swinging. It's gone! Beckham's first game-ending homer. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel, Sunday mornings on The Score. That's pretty cool. Gordon Beckham with the walk-off homer. On Father's Day. Didn't he walk it off on Mother's Day that year, too? Yep. He was the king of the parental celebration day walk-off. The undisputed king. And last I looked last year was still playing in MLB. Not quite the superstar some of us thought he might be, but a lot longer baseball career than you or me. Good morning to you. It's Hit and Run right here on 670 The Score. One more hour to go, then Mark Grody will join me. Ozzie Gian Jr. a little bit later on this hour on growing up Gian and being Gian around MLB. But uh, I've been on his show a few times over recent months and decided I wanted to ask the man to come on this one. He is Lawrence Holmes. You hear him middays on the score, and he joins us right now on the Alpamonte Ford hotline, Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park. Hello, Lawrence. What's up? What's happening, Speaks? Things Thanks for are, the invite. Absolutely, man. Of course. I love talking baseball with you and lots of things with you. So I just talked to my dad last hour. I saw, I retweeted, I have not listened yet. You had your dad on House of L on the podcast this week. What was that like to, oh, hi, dad. How, how you doing? I, I know you. Let's have a conversation. How did that go? It was great. Uh, it's out now if people want to check it out. And House of L is on Apple Podcasts. It's on Stitcher. It's on Spotify. You can just search for it. And it was really great because my dad is pretty quiet. He's the quiet one in the family. And Tony Gillard actually said to me, hey, did, were, were you going to interview your mom for Mother's Day? And I was like, I don't know. I, I didn't think about it. And then he's like, well, you should. And he's right. Like, I actually had done this assignment with my students this quarter. And I do it every quarter that I'm teaching at DePaul where I have them do interviews and then what we do is we go through the interviews and think about like the follow-up questions that could have been asked. And then they go back and they ask those follow-up questions. Well, because of, of coronavirus, their choices on who to interview were a little limited. So most of them ended up interviewing family members, parents, finding out what it was that they did. And I think that it's a really good thing. Like, honestly, 
you don't have to have a podcast to to do it. I yeah. think that it's a good thing to do to put something on the record with your your parent or your parent like figure so that you can have it, whether that's for you later on or it's for someone else in your family. So it made a lot of sense when Tony broke it down and I I talked with my dad and I figured I would put it out on Father's Day weekend and it was great. You have the convergence of Juneteenth and Father's Day weekend for for me and my dad to talk about a lot of stuff and there's stuff that even though I'm I consider myself close to my dad that mm-hmm. I didn't know. Like I knew he was in the army, but I didn't know how the Vietnam War had affected him. So we talked about that. I knew that he had a whole bunch of jobs, which, you know, seems to play out for his sons too. Um, but I didn't know why he had a whole bunch of jobs. I knew that my grandfather played in the Negro Leagues, but I didn't know if my grandfather was good and, and why it was that it seemed to skip a generation. Like, my dad doesn't didn't really play sports, even though he loves sports. So there was so much to get into, and it was great. And that's before we even talk about his famous friends. Like, here it speaks. This is a story that I think you can relate to. And we, we didn't talk about it, but we did talk about the, the famous friend. So a few years ago... Me and my brother are over at my parents' house. My mother finds this thing, and it's an invitation. It's an invitation to the, I want to say the 2004, 2005 Grammys. It's just in this beautiful box. Now, my brother is a, is a Grammy voter, okay, because mm-hmm. of his work in house music and everything else. And we're like, what is this? And it's like, oh, you know, it's a... It's an invitation to to the Grammys. You know, I must have forgotten about it because that's how my dad is. Like he's he's just kind of like that. And we're like, um, how did you get invitations for four people to the Grammys? Oh, oh yeah. Well, Donda's kid was nominated for a Grammy, and we're like, you mean Kanye? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, you said Donda. I'm like, wait a minute, I know that name. Yeah. So 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 Donda Dr. Donda West was was the uh she she was my dad's boss at Chicago State. Like they were good friends. She was the department chair for him. And, and he was like, oh, yeah, you know, I hear I hear Donda's kid is doing really well with music. And me and my brother are just looking at each other like we could have been at the Grammys at Donda West's table. Uh-huh. So, I mean, it's stuff like that where I wanted to talk to my dad about it because to him, like it's those are just his friends. Like yeah. him, him telling me stories about Gwen, a.k.a. Gwendolyn Brooks. Those are just his friends. So I wanted to do a deeper dive on it, and that's what we did on the podcast. What um what was his his knowledge, relationship, experience with your grandfather's Negro Leagues experience? Or I guess what was your dad's understanding of it from from your grandfather's perspective? So I, I think I've I probably sent you the pictures of of him yes. of the of, of the gloves, right? Like we've yes. So I have three of my grandfather's gloves from the Negro Leagues, like, hung up on a wall in my house. And, you know, you hear the stories, but you know how it was. Like, back in the, the 30s and stuff, like, those leagues, are you there was barnstorming. There's all sorts of stuff. I didn't know, and my father was telling me, he's like, yeah, you know, your grandfather was pretty good. And he thought that it was hysterical that I became a catcher because that's the position that my grandfather played. 
and there wasn't any like coaching as far as that went. Like my my grandfather never like pushed me towards playing catcher. He didn't talk a lot. Like and so him telling me stories about my grandfather growing up in Chattanooga and and I believe playing for the Chattanooga Chicksaws back mm. then and saying that my grandfather was actually pretty good at it and that that whenever his uncle when my dad's uncle would come to town they would go out and they would play catch and they would tell stories and and all sorts of stuff and it's just interesting that that, that never really grabbed hold of my dad but it somehow grabbed hold of me so my grandfather gave me my first glove when I was four years old and that's how I I kind of began to love playing baseball and this is obviously like before I even know any of this stuff I just know that knew that he wanted me to learn how to catch and throw and early on we would start with a tennis ball because you don't want to break anything <laughs> and it was it was it's one of my first real memories that I have. So getting a little bit more information on what that was like for my grandfather through my dad was was excellent. Like hearing him talk about all of this stuff was really crazy. So I highly recommend people check out uh, this week's House of L episode with my father. And there's other great stuff on the House of L platform too. Like if you want to listen to the Matabaticola interview or or the Mark Rohde interview or the Jason Goff interview, it's tons of stuff on there that's awesome. But it was really cool to sit down with my dad and have him tell some some stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll look forward to hearing it. So I've been thinking about the Negro Leagues uh, because – you know, I, I, I think thinking about the things that that history has done that this country has done to African-Americans and the way that African-Americans have responded at different times throughout our, our history. The Negro Leagues is one of the most beautiful, impressive chapters in 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 the history of of I don't know, I guess the of the disadvantaged or like look what came out of exclusion. You know, like yep. you're excluded from MLB and they said, you know what? F it. Let's do this ourselves and turned it into this self-sustaining, remarkably high level, impressive, well-functioning and loved, beloved entity of the Negro Leagues. It's 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 one. Of, it's a great accomplishment when you look back at it historically. I was I haven't had a chance to read the story. It's just something that kind of crossed the, my timeline that I I put a pen in and I'm going to go back. Apparently there's some story about a group of black players playing a bunch of Klansmen in a baseball game and beating them. And there having to be rules about, you know, what was going to be allowed on the field oh, at the time, like what 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 type of language, like what's like sort of stuff went on. So I want to read it it's that type of thing that's fascinating. If you look at, at a, a lot of things when it comes to black history where a lot of the things that you and I love to eat, like the idea of soul food, uh-huh. it, it, that comes from not having anything sure. and, and, and taking the scraps of food that you have and figuring out a way for it to nourish your family and to be tasty. And that creativity kind of shines through, and you can see it when you talk about you know Negro Leagues baseball, those those uniforms. I get a chance every year for the Amateur City Elite program through uh, the White Sox. They do do kind of a, a, a east. They do a, a tribute to Ted Double Duty Ratcliffe, 
and they do the East-West game that used to be played over on the South Side with the Negro League All-Stars. And seeing these young guys, guys like Ed Howard, for example, Pierce Jones, like seeing those young guys put those uniforms on and love those uniforms and be like, man, this is cool, and embracing that aspect of their history is awesome. There are a lot of people inside baseball, I think that they simplify it, but I I do think that there is some – it has some some reason to it that baseball – did a lot for race relations in America. That's the really simplified version of it. I just want yeah. to say that. But it did. And there there were things that happened inside of sports that happened in, in baseball in particular, happened there before it happened in other portions of American society. And those are things that we do need to learn more about and need to celebrate. And I don't know if you've ever had Bob Kendrick on, but not. you should. That that is a perfect hit and run guess. I'm gonna I'm gonna make that recommendation for you, Speaks, because cool. you and Bob Kendrick would sit there for an hour talking about the game and the Negro Leagues. I love that guy so much. He came on my show and he was telling me stories about Ichiro coming to the, the Negro Leagues Museum and then writing a big ass check to <laughs> the museum because of all the things that he learned and and how he felt a connection that coming from Japan. Yeah. He felt a connection with those Negro Leagues players. And honestly, like if you look at, at Ichiro's career and you look at the way that he played the game, you can kind of see it. You're like, oh, yeah, I can see where that may have been one of the many influences that happened on this guy. But put it on your list of guests. Put Bob Kendrick on your I show. Will. Because he's amazing. I will absolutely do that. I I remember reading about Ichiro and some of the feelings that he eventually shared about the Negro Leagues Museum and about because he could relate to a feeling some level of uh, of prejudice and some level of of difference and otherness. Yeah, of of otherness. And that that is so um, relatable for all of us in our history somewhere. I wish people could just access that if they if they're having a moment they're thinking how do these people feel about being the other or whatever just remember like it's really visceral and easy for me as a jewish person to think back to stories from my grandmother about the warsaw ghetto you know it's real easy to get there and and realize that mm, time and space there but for the grace of god could could go i right like so and, and every culture should have that somewhere that that somewhere back at some point, your people, your ancestors were told you're not good enough. That that's really the entirety of the empathy that 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 well maybe not the entirety, but it's a big part of the empathy that needs to take place. Um, look, we're talking about the Negro Leagues, and it reminded me of uh, of of Black Wall Street as we're talking about it because. Because sometimes when you are excluded or told you can't be a part of it, you build your own thing. And I didn't know about Tulsa and Black Wall Street. And I was horrified to realize that I didn't know. At the age of 49, I love history. I gobbled history. I've gobbled culture in lots of different ways. And and somehow I didn't know until that viral rant from Kimberly Jones made me realize I needed to do some some research. And and now I know. And, and, and I'm wondering... I'm wondering, it, like, you as an educator, as the, as the uh, children of educators, how have stories like that 
not been in the curriculum and available for American history. I don't it, it's pathetic that they have not been. And that needs to change greatly. It's so it's so interesting to me that this past week, Friday, I spent a lot of time talking about Juneteenth and I talked a little bit about Tulsa and with Tulsa. I was talking about it in the context of the show Watchmen because, you know, I'm a big I'm a big geek and I love stuff like that. And what I found amazing was all the people that when Watchmen came out last fall. There the first episode. Starts in Tulsa in 1921 and because of it being Watchmen and it being, you know, a, a, a graphic novel turned into a movie that's now being forwarded on this this limited series on HBO, which, by the way, you can watch it still for free today on HBO.com. There were a lot of people that thought that the Tulsa massacre was the fiction. Yeah. Not realizing that it was it was a real moment in, in our country's history that was used as a jumping off point. To, to help tell the story. And whether it was people on my show or folks that have just kind of come around to maybe re-watching Watchmen again with the context of knowing what happened in Tulsa. Yeah. Like, it, it's, it, it, it makes you ask the question. And speaks. it's the right question. It's the right question that everyone should ask. Why don't I know about this? Yeah. Why wasn't I taught this? And that's the way that I look at systemic racism and say, you might be thinking that this is something that has come up and that it only affects people of color. That is a, is a real example of how it affects white people, too. That you're sitting around here going, I, I have no idea what I don't know. Crazy. And it's not fair to the educational process of everyone that those, there are stories like that that haven't been told. Because I think if those stories are told... It makes it, it makes it easier for there to be empathy and to be understanding. And, and and I was joking with people on Friday that I'm sure that there were plenty plenty of people that got an email from the company that they work for talking about Juneteenth, and they were like, "What the hell is Juneteenth?" Yeah. And then once you explain it to people, they go, "Oh, we should really celebrate that. That's an awesome thing to celebrate as a republic." Mm. Yeah, it's this is this is the moment <clears throat> to to learn that stuff and do what we can about kind of building it back into the consciousness because it's just, I mean, sports and music, my two worlds are are a spot where talent is undeniable. It's just undeniable, and at times, at its best, it acts as a leveler and takes away um, bias or teaches you not to have bias or just removes it because you have no choice but to be like, you know what? That third violinist is better than me. I am the fourth violinist. And it doesn't matter who that person is and why they're better. Or that guy that, that guy has a, a feel on the bass that is just better. And I, yep, I, I should not be in the band. Whatever it is. So, but, so, so even me with like those wide eyes open and my hippie sensibilities and can't we all get along? Hell, I've been underinformed. So it's... Well, uh, and, and Speaks, the thing is, is that you're... You're someone who listens to music, and you listen to it with an ear that I think is different from most people. I would tell folks, go back and listen to some of that. That's folks that are our age, you know, the score middle children age. Mm-hmm. Go back and listen to rap music in the 80s and early 90s. Go back and listen to Public Enemy. 
Go back and listen to NWA and Ice Cube. Go back and listen to Rakim and some of the stories that were being told. It's, it's, I think that, that a lot of times hip-hop in particular gets put in this box of, of party music. And yes, there is a great element of party music aspect of it. But if you're listening to KRS-One or Chuck D or um, Q-Tip, they're telling you stories. Yes. And a lot of those stories were, were from a place of truth. And if, you're, if you think that Ice Cube, that's the guy that's, that's making Are We There Yet, uh, is the guy that, that he is, go back and listen to his music because a lot of those things were in there. And my, my brother like absolutely blew my mind with the whole thing about Gap Band. Oh my god. And, and and Tulsa. And then Speaks, you know what's crazy? And I know I know you got a break. I know you got all sorts of stuff to do. We got it's crazy that Friday night I'm sitting there just watching TV. I had turned on CNN and there's Cornell West. And Cornell West and Anderson Cooper are having this conversation. And he shouts out the Gap Band because here's another thing I didn't know. Cornell West, born and raised in Tulsa. Wow. In in he grew up with the Wilson brothers. Crazy. Right there in the neighborhood that got firebombed by the government. Mm. And and whether it's Tulsa or Rosewood, if you really want to be mad at America, watch the movie Rosewood. It it will it will turn your stomach. And a lot of people think that these are dramatizations and and they are like but they are telling the stories of what went down there and those are things that people need to know yeah and and not and and it was everywhere um the there were race riots in chicago in 1919 eve ewing from the university of chicago among other things just put out a book um of poetry based on something that she had read from 1923 and it was a lot of people in chicago academics and well-meaning people writing about how do we deal with the racial issues in chicago today and it's a hundred years old and it is the same freaking stuff and i I heard her talking about it and i want to go out and get that book but like there's it's a hundred years ago that's three different ones for people to 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 know about if you care, and, and, and you should, Rosewood, Tulsa, and even Chicago in, uh, in 1919. And it's can, I, can I add something to Ruben's reading list? Yes, please. All right, so you're talking about Eve Ewing, right? Yeah. Eve Ewing created a character called Ironheart, who is Iron Man's protege, but she's black, and she's from Chicago. I think that Ruben would really enjoy it. Like She has her own like Iron Man suit. And she's 15 years old, and she deals with a lot of things that Chicagoans of color deal with, even though she's a superhero. I, I highly recommend it. That's awesome. That's, that's awesome. Because uh, we all, if we're good, if we're good fathers, um, and a, if this is a day to think about it, we want to do what we can to put more empathetic humans in the world. More empathetic, kind, well, you know, good-hearted humans in the world. That's, that's really what I can do. So uh, I'll take that recommendation to heart. Lawrence, thanks for the time, man. Appreciate you. And um, happy Father's Day to your pops, all right? Yes, happy Father's Day to your pops and to you, Speaks. Thanks for giving me the platform to talk with you. Of course, of course. That's Lawrence Holmes. You hear him noon to two every day, Monday through Friday on 670 The Score. What is it like growing up in MLB and growing up Gian? Let's talk to Ozzy Jr. next on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Tying run at second, two out, Palmero over the head of Jenks. Uribe charges, throws, oh! 
out, and the White Sox have won the World Series. Juan Uribe with a play, charging it, throwing it, and the White Sox celebrate their first title in 88 years. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel, Sunday mornings on The Score. Yes, indeed. Ozzie Gian, one of the more colorful, one of the more interesting, thought-provoking figures this baseball town has ever seen. When I was um, hosting during the final couple years of Ozzie Gian's managing career, um, 2010, 2011, 2009, he was gold, absolute gold, because he seemed to be telling the truth. So often after a game, I still remember one of my favorite days hosting was when the White Sox played like absolute trash and Ozzy came out and destroyed the team honestly, specifically, uh, and at the end said, and Danks pitched well. Because that was the one good thing from the entire day in the bad stretch. So what was it like to grow up with that man as a father? I want to know here on Father's Day. And right now joining us in Alpamonte Ford Hotline, Alpamonte Ford is in Melrose Park, is Ozzie Guillen Jr. Long time no talk, long time no see, Ozzie Guillen Jr. Thank you for some time this morning. How you doing? Happy Father's Day to you. No, it's been too long. I'm doing great, man. I'm doing, I got my health. Uh, Good day today, celebrating with my kids and my father. Man, that, uh, that, that sound bite sounded good on uh, getting that last out in the World Series. Uh, you, you explain, Ozzy, uh, how he is. Um, you think he's, he's honest in baseball? <laughs> try, try to test him in real life. Um, it, it was very different. It was, uh, I didn't have that uh, cuddly, you know, uh, kind of the dad that maybe might be a little bit gullible and lie to you about things. And it got more intense as we got older. But I, 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 think, I think it was the best thing possible. And it gave me a reality of what the real world was going to be like. See, that, that's interesting because as a ball player, I heard people say that about Ozzy all the time. He just wasn't going to BS you. He, he wasn't. And, and, you know, when you're growing up a, a great athlete and then you're paid a lot and people want to get the most out of you, a lot of time people will blow sunshine. That did not happen. So you're saying he didn't do that much for you as, as a kid either? No, 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 especially with athletics. You know, um, Ozzy made something very clear. You know, I think that – when you're like the Barry Bonds of the world or the Vladimir Guerrero, Scott Fernando, Tatis Jr., even guys like um, that got to get to play in the minor leagues, Ozzy was always very like, you know, I have this special skill in baseball. Um, it's not normal. You know, I worked really hard for it. And if you want to get it, it's probably going to be really, really hard. So you should do really well in school because the chances of you making it to baseball are probably slim to none. And he was just very honest, you know, um, he, he always tried to, to make you better. He was never satisfied. He was never a dad that, you know, sat there and said, oh, my kid's so good. You know, he's, he's this type of player. He's this type of guy. Just in anything in life. And he was just trying to prepare us to, you know, to be responsible. And I think it's crazy. You know, Ozzy had a rule uh, when, we, when we turned of age um, that he was like, I want no DUIs, and I don't want you guys to have kids to start having kids all over the place. And we're like, what do you mean? He's like, because when you're a father, you've got to be responsible. So I want you guys to know that, that, you know, if you guys come here and say, hey, you know, I just got some girl knocked up or whatever, that I'm going to come here and, like, raise this kid for you. It's like, okay, good job. You know, now be responsible. So he was just very, very real, very in your face growing up, which was something that I think uh, is necessary, I think, as a parent, because the, real, the world is cruel. The world is real. And I think as a parent, sometimes we forget that. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I, I think about it now 
as, as a parent myself, I know I'm guilty of soft pedaling it sometimes and being too kind. Oh, so am I. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be the same way. I, I, trust me. I, I, I hope that my kid's at least decent enough to like you know uh, that I won't have to have that conversation with it. But I was just very honest. Like you know, you're not very good at this, or you know, you should think about doing something else. And it was just honest. It was with love, but it was just having you know sit down conversations. And we still do. I think that. You know, a lot of things can be argued about Ozzy. I think that honesty is not one of them. And I think, you know, you could argue that he, is he been a good manager? Is he a good baseball player? Again, stats speak for themselves. Again, that's always up to interpretation and whatever you like. But him as a parent, you know, where we come from and what Ozzy's been able to do within one generation, I think that's his biggest legacy. Um, him and my uncles of what they've been able to do with where they come from, um, just by hard work and, and keeping focused because – he has been. He has done a great job, and now I have my own family, and and everyone's kind of set the ways. And now he's a grandfather, and he gets to enjoy that part. But it's it's a lot. It's it's not just people always look at the money and like, oh yeah, they made you know Ali made a lot of money, and you know that's why it's not true. There's a lot of players that have made a lot of money that you know that second generation doesn't have what you know the morals or or the lifestyle that they should because of decisions made early. And Ozzy made sure of that. Ozzy made sure that you know we're in a better situation. Uh, from our humble beginnings than where we where he started. So I think that's also father. And the other thing is providing, man. Ozzy, you know, when you look at his biography, we always laugh because we always to, we always wake up and say we have to work harder than my than Ozzy than my father. You know, he is in his fifties now. He's transitioning to this you know TV media person, and he's always transitioning to something else. He's always been able to reinvent himself, and that's because of work. I think that he feels like if he's not working, that he's not providing, and that's something that's instilled in him because of the whole providing for your family mentality. And you know what? Kudos to him because I know it's not easy, not especially someone like himself, uh, but he's done a great job. You can't argue that he's been a good father now. It's, uh, it's, boy, this is fun talking to Ozzie Guillen Jr. Ozzie Guillen Jr. hosts Being Guillen on La Vida Baseball, uh, and you can find him on Twitter and you can find La Vida Baseball at La Vida Baseball dot com and uh being gay and and ozzy jr used to host right here on 670 the score i remember um often hearing you and and your brothers um and others uh, on on the score so it's nice to get to talk to you boy the way you talk about it see the perspective is there man it's like the baseball is one thing but in one generation to come from venezuela for him and your uncles to get here and then have kids like you building a family in um, a better circumstance than he came from in Venezuela with morals intact and with work ethic intact, that's legacy. That is a bigger legacy than a World Series. It's a bigger legacy than the ball-playing career and any kind of media thing. That's, that's the kind of stuff that will last, and it's nice that, that you feel that. And have you been able to say that to him? Have you been able to express that kind of stuff to him? I have, I have, I have, especially sometimes when there's, there's downtime, you know, because I see, I see Ozzy as, as in a two different ways. I see Ozzy, obviously, the father. I'm very close to him. Uh, he's, he's family, you know, but then I look at Ozzy from, from the perspective of a man, of a Hispanic man, of, you know, being first generation and seeing, like, where my grandparents were at and then seeing where he has been able to do and what he's been able to accomplish with, you know, very little education, being really good at one thing, which is catching ground balls because he wasn't a great hitter, but making catching ground balls something amazing, you know, having that leadership and drive, something that he was born with, and then, you know, and then transition into that, into a playing career, then a coaching career, then a managerial career, uh, and then, you know, being able to do TV. And it, it, it's, it's just transcending that as a, as a man. I admire it because, you know, I have all these skill sets. I have all this education. I have, you know, degrees. I have so many more opportunities, and, and I'm not even, you know, close to it. 
And I'm already 36 years old. So when you look at the comparison of what Ozzy was doing then, it's, it's, it's admirable when it comes to that. So I always let him know that, you know, we have to remember where we come from in the sense that, you know, where we started or where we're going to be at. And, and I think that that is the legacy. I think that the legacy for Ozzy is that of, of him, the man. I think sometimes the reason that I think the, he views, he doesn't, people think that he doesn't care about other things is because he's so enshrined on, on him being judged on him being a father uh, and, and, and being a provider that he doesn't care about anything else. Like if he gets a hundred percent in one side and he's like a 10% somewhere else, he's like, I, I, I don't care because that's his focus. And, I, that I admire because it's, it's really at, at hard to be able to do that. Um, but I think it's a great example. I think if you if you grab that part of Ozzy's chapter in his book and you're looking someone to model or look after, I think the, the drive for work and, and, and the drive for your family and being able to provide mm-hmm. and doing whatever it takes to, to push him forward and you know, raising kids with great morals is, is definitely something that I would, I would steal that page from his chapter. So 1985 is Ozzy's first year as a member of the White Sox, and that's when you're born, Ozzy Jr., the firstborn. He's here until 97. So do you have memories as as a kid, as a toddler and beyond um, in that White Sox uh, locker room and at, uh, at, at, old, at old Comiskey there for a while, and then obviously the new one, uh, U.S. Cellular? Do you have memories there from that chapter before he came back and managed again? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's when I was a diehard White Sox fan. Um, I, I, I had great memories uh, growing up in, in the Sox. Obviously, his first year. It's funny because Ozzy always mentions that, you know, I was the game changer because he thought baseball was, was something that was just for fun. And once he, he was going to going to become a dad, he realized, oh, my God, I need to provide. This is, this is a big, big responsibility. And it actually helped him in his career. Um, I think that um, it was great for Ozzy. He was very lucky to land in one place. Okay, um, land in a city like Chicago that allowed him to uh, have a lot of balance in raising a family. Uh, a but how foundation. about you? But but how about you, Ozzy Junior? Because I wonder, like I oh for I, me that feels like a fantasy to me to be eight, nine, ten years old and have your dad be a big leaguer. Did you did you get oh, to hang around the you clubhouse? I think, I think for I think for oh, of course I grew up around the clubhouse. You know, I think my favorite one was uh, the Gene Lamont years because Gene Gene Lamont's son and daughter were around our age and, and Tim Raines kids were around our age. And we just grew up, um, you know, being around the clubhouse. And, and, you know, I, when I went to Frank's, you know, seeing Frank get inducted and then Harold, it's like, wow, man, I, I've known these guys my whole life, you know, since I was a little kid yeah. and now to see them get in, inducted. Um, now I think as an adult, I appreciate it more. My seats, my Ozzy, we, he knew that we loved baseball. So our seats were not regular family seats. He actually would pay, and our seats were behind six rows behind the home plate at New Comiskey Park at oh, Guaranteed Rate. So now where the scout seats are at, that's where I watch White Sox baseball since 19, since the new stadium. Okay, so I I watched everyone walk through there, and all the other opposing teams knew that those were obvious kids there um, that would sit there because we would watch the games and you know we'd scream heckle and do whatever it is that we did. But looking back at it now, it's not you know. All the guys that I considered my heroes, guys that I admired, I, I, I knew them. I grew up I grew up around them. And it was fun. It was a fun time in baseball. It was a fun time, I think, in in um in the game. And you know what? I think that people don't realize is that when people ask them, you know, why why are you guys so close to the media? Uh, you know, it's because the media saw us growing up. You know, I, I had people in the clubhouse that saw me there it, it, as a toddler, and some of them even taught me in college. And then I worked with other individuals on 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 the score and in other uh, stations. And then, 
you know, I'm interviewing them now on La Vida Baseball and I'm, I'm, I'm asking their input and they're sending me messages that happy Father's Day. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's a family thing. You know, the, the chances that we grew up in one place has, has made it, a, it's not just the team, it's a Chicago thing. It's a family thing for us because we grew up in it. And it was awesome. You know, I, I didn't realize that Ozzy was who he was because I think that the way that the people that we were around never let it happen that way. But I think that once I started getting into my high school years that I was looking at it from like an older perspective, I realized, okay, this is not normal. Yeah. You know, um, having Frank Thomas go up to Frank and say, hey, sign this. I have a funny story. So now that I'm older, I'm like, man, that must have been annoying. So there was like this whole thing that I found out as an adult that yeah. Carlton Fisk wouldn't sign a lot, okay? He was a very hard signature to get. And my brother and myself would literally ask Carlton to sign literally every other day. We'd just go up to him and be like, hey, can you sign this? And he would sign it 100% of the time. Wow. So I'm like, like things like that is like, you know, it, it's, a, that's, that's, it's unrealistic. It's, and I think that's why we love the game of baseball and, and, and we've been around it for so long is because we grew up in it. And, and it was fun. Growing up in a clubhouse, it was it was very interesting, but it was it was a heck of a good time. That, that's awesome. And then, but then traveling around, it's got to be tough when your dad becomes an Oriole and then a Brave and then a Devil Ray over the course of about three and a half four years. Did home always stay Chicago, Ozzy Junior? How much did you guys so go Ozzie, around? So, so Ozzy has a, an obsession, obviously, with the White Sox, and, and it has all the way back to the player. And you you know you can't blame him for that. Um, we we had our house. I remember I was in about to in seventh grade and and we stayed living here and Ozzy was just at this point you know uh dwindling his career and was where you know as a backup player and helping out and wherever they needed them to be in a winning team and we we never wanted to move to those cities we would go in the summer spend a couple you know be there during when the team was at home and then when they go on the road we either you know go back come back to Chicago or, or go back to uh, Venezuela um but we always knew we wanted to come back to Chicago and it's funny because uh, we sold our house in Chicago in, in 2000, 2000, 2001, uh, and, and we moved to Florida. I was already about to start high school, and they needed a home, and it was no longer it was a Chicago home. It was a Florida home. I had never lived in Florida. I went to boarding school about an hour and a half away, two hours from that home, but it was just, a, a, it was just an address. And uh, that's why Austin, my youngest brother, grows up in Miami, but it was, Chicago was always home, and then one thing led to another and Ozzy interviews for the Sox job. And that's how we come back to Chicago in 04 is because he had landed a job, but we always had intentions of coming back uh, in one shape or form because we loved it. Um, people always talk about like heartbreak. Uh, when Ozzy left, when, when Ozzy was not signed back in the, after the 97 season, I think it was way more devastating than any time that he left because it was the loss of innocence because that was my team. That was, you know, those were my guys. That was our clubhouse. I, yeah. you know, that was my life. Um, I, what, later on, it was I understood the business. I understood what what things was happening. I understood that, you know, the the love and the care and the compassion or the friendships that you have, that they were not going to be affected, regardless if you work for the team or not. Uh, but yeah, it, it was fun. We got lucky. We got lucky compared to other families. Um, but, but it was fun because we always made Chicago home. And oddly, made a point of that. Not not trying to test a lot of free agency and moving around because it's hard on the families. It's, it's when you're a player and you find a place um, and, you, and you can raise a family in one area, it, helped, it definitely helps a lot. And it helped us for sure because home was always either Caracas or Chicago except for those uh, three, four awkward years that we were like in between and we had this home in Chicago, but my dad didn't really work here. 
Yeah. Uh, all right. Last thing for you, Ozzy Jr. Tell me what it's like now being on this side uh, with consistency, hosting being in over on La Vida Baseball, which is all about Latino baseball and news and culture. Um, give me give me somebody you've really enjoyed talking to. Um, recently uh, on, on the podcast, on Being Gian. You know what? I, I think that the, the Miguel Cabrera uh, interview during the last season towards the end was awesome because we were talking, two friends talking, but it was more of like a professional conversation, and it was really cool to get that insight on Miguel. You know, the Being Gian show kind of arose. I was doing La Vida Baseball. Um, started off with the Ozzy Gian Jr. show. I said, wouldn't it be cool if we could have my, my, my brother and my dad more consistently they were open for it, and it's been awesome having just all of them on the show together, you know, having Ozzy give his perspective from what his views, and, and us having those conversations, you know, we don't agree with Ozzy on something mm-hmm. or the way that we view the game. Um, I think the best part of it is everywhere I've worked from when I was at the score to now being here uh, at La Vida Baseball with Teamworks Media is the creativity side. They've always let us run and be able to, to speak our mind and be able to, to look at it. And I think now it's a perfect time because – you know, we're not 20, Ozzy's not 40 and with a chip on his shoulder. You know, we're all in our 30s, you know, kids. Um, Ozzy's a grandfather. We definitely view the game from a different perspective. Don't have that chip on that shoulder. You know, it's not on a win basis. So it's really cool to see that we do talk about baseball um, and we do get deep into baseball. And for those, those uh, baseball, I like to call them nerds like me, um, mm-hmm. we are going to get into, you know, the, the, the nitty-gritty of it. But then we also talk about fun things. Things that are happening in the country, which are not easy conversations. Funny things when Ozzy just finds out about a new word in English that he has no idea what it means. <laughs> and he asks us what it means, and then we tell him, and then he tries to use it in his vocabulary. But just, it, we also talk about life um, because it's a show. It's a, it's a family. It's a dynamic. It's not perfect. Um, it's not pretty sometimes, but it's always fun. And we like to give that insight. And you know what? We know, we know, the, we know the sport. We know the teams in Chicago very well. Um, and it's just fun to be able to do it. And it, it's such a laid back and Hopefully it keeps growing. It's fun. It, it went from being a hobby to something that we've been doing consistently now for, for a few months. You can check out the podcast uh, at La Vida Baseball, um, the Bean Gian show, but it's fun. It's, it's been a heck of a ride so far. And it's been fun even without baseball being there because it's hard, you know, trying to talk about something that's not happening. You know, you don't want to beat up on the players so much and the owners every single day. <laughs> talking tell, about tell me about it. Tell me about it. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. You know, I like people always talk about this. I like good. I like talking about guys going four for four and teams being in first place. And I, that's my favorite part. Like just being able to talk positivities about the game, but hopefully when it comes back, you know, he'll, he'll keep doing his, uh, he, he'll, will come back as a pre and post game show. And we'll keep doing, we'll keep doing being Gian and, and just being able to bring fun content to the people that, that love baseball. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm for one that, you know, people say that the game's dying. Um, I believe that the game is dying to some aspect, but for the people that it's alive for, they're in it more than ever. And that's who we're trying to create the content for. All right, great stuff. Ozzy, Ozzy Jr., thank you so much, man. Appreciate the time. Happy Father's Day to you, and pass it on to your pops as well, okay? Thank you. Same to you. Always a pleasure. Happy Father's Day. All right, thank you. That's Ozzy Gian Jr. joining me, Matt Spiegel, right here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. When we come back, we'll put a bow on this thing and hand it off to Mark Grody. Um, but we'll give you the latest on some of the negotiations um, if you missed some of the news this morning. Uh, and also you'll hear from one Cub who got very emotional the other day talking about his father. That's next on 670 The Score. My dad, he's followed my career very well. I just remember what he, what he says to me. You know, play your hardest. Play with your, play with your heart. Father's Day will definitely be a little different for me this year. 
really, really um, makes me thankful for you know what my dad has done for me. Father's Day also to me is very special. I want to show how much I love them, uh, but they know every day is for them. Yeah, I mean, one of the best part of my life, you know, being being a dad and and teaching my my son everything I do. That from Marquee the other day, um, Cubs players talking about their dad. It's Jeremy Jeffries first. A guy I really wish we were getting to know as a sports town, as a baseball city, the pitcher, former brewer. Heard nothing but great things about the guy. But um, obviously there's no baseball and there's no conversation. Just a little bit in the spring training. You also heard Chris Bryant talking about his first Father's Day. Happy first Father's Day to him. Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez in there. Happy first Father's Day also to Nick Shepkowski, to Danny Parkins, and to any of you out there experiencing your first. Uh, Sean Dunstan, the former number one pick in all of baseball, was on Marquee the other day and was talking about his life. Uh, born in Brooklyn, New York in 1963 in public housing. His father, dad, worked as a cab driver, delivered furniture. His mom worked in a women's clothing store in Dunstan in high school as an infielder, became great. His batting average in his senior year at Thomas Jefferson High School was 790. 790! With 10 homers, 37 stolen bases, and not once caught stealing a base. Not once. People went crazy for Sean Dunstan. And he ended up the number one overall pick and had a a pretty darn good career when you think about it. 11 years with the Cubs, played with the Giants, Cubs again, Pirates, Indians, Giants, Cardinals, Mets, Cardinals, Giants, two times an all-star, both with the Cubs, 150 career homers. Maybe didn't live up to number one overall, but that's an awfully high and absurd standard to live with. Dunstan was on marquee the other day, and he got emotional when thinking about his father, Jack, and the influence that he had on Sean's life. I'm very emotional with my dad. I lost my dad about um, seven years ago, so this hurts. But my dad is the reason why I'm here. He taught me everything, how to be a man, how to be myself. Don't back down from nobody. Just give it your all. My dad, by making sure my dad was a barber and my dad was a cab driver. And I made it through my dad with hard work. So it's funny how now I tip barbers really big and I tip um, cab drivers. I made it because of my father. My father's everything. Now I know why, I mean, how it is to be a father. Because I have four beautiful kids and a beautiful wife. And I know I'm hard on my kids is because I want them to do well. I'm sorry I'm crying, but I lost my dad. And I'm very tight with him and I love him every day. And I'm very successful because of my father. No other man is my idol. My idol is my dad. I just want to let the world know I am successful because of my father. Happy Father's Day, man. Oh, my God. That just got me good. Oh, Sean, you should have told me that was going to break me apart in a million pieces right here at the end of Hit and Run. Why didn't you tell me about that, buddy? I, I It was good. It oh, was good audio. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And he knows that's a man who, uh, who feels blessed and realizes the good fortune to have four beautiful children and his beautiful wife. And he would not be successful, would not be enabled to do any of this without his father. I'm going to I'm going to take that with I'm going to tip barbers well. I'm going to tip cab drivers well and I'm going to think about 
Sean Dunstan's dad next time I do it. That's for sure. Treat um, your fathers well if they are around. Treat your kids well. And if your fathers aren't around, I, I wish you peace and happiness uh, on this day. And I, I appreciate those of you who have reached out and, and enjoyed some of the conversations, some of the stories, and enjoyed the interview with my father and, and my big bro from the top of the 10 o'clock hour. I know a lot of you who have reached out who do not have your father around felt it was very relatable and somewhat therapeutic to hear some of the same kind of relationships. We are way more similar than we are different, everybody. Have a good day. Be safe. Enjoy yourself. Happy Father's Day to you and to yours. And, Lord, I hope we have baseball. But even if we don't, we got dads, right? All right, everybody. Have a great day. Mark Grody is next. Sean Anderson, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. It's Matt Spiegel signing off on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 